Welcome to my favorite Beatles song, the podcast where we celebrate the music of the Beatles with a distinguished guest. Today, I'm talking with Steve O'Brien, writer, editor, and journalist. Hello, Steve. Hi, Tim. Tell me a bit about what you do, because I know you work in the music space, um, publishing a lot about kind of classic rock and pop from sixes and beyond. Yeah, actually, that's a fairly recent thing in my career. Kind of for, for most of the last 25 years, I've been writing about uh, film and TV and then sort of music came along about sort of five years ago. So that's kind of a, a nice little extra string to my bow now. Yeah, you did, I know you did a special on the Beach Boys. Have you published anything about the Beatles in your time as a journalist? Uh, I've written a lot for it. Our, our sort of mutual friend, uh, Neil Crossley, sort of edited a, a Beatles Years magazine that I, I wrote quite a lot for. Uh, mm-hmm. I wish I could have edited that one, but, uh, but it eluded yeah. me. Uh, no, but I got you know, my second favourite band with the Beach Boys, so that was great. Yeah. Now, I always ask people, how would you rate your fandom of the Beatles on a scale of one to ten? OK, so if, if Mark Lewisham is ten, right. I'm, most of the time I'm a seven, and I think sometimes that can go up to an eight. I think the Beatles is one of those things that they're sort of omnipresent in my life, but they're, they're every couple of years, the interest surges again. And then I'll, I'll get everything out and I'll, you know, I'll watch Anthology all the way through again, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, yeah. And that's kind of where I am at, again at the moment. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they've been in my life for 35 years. I think back, back when I was younger, I'd listen to them a lot more regularly, but they're sort of so ever present in my head that sometimes I, I need a bit of a space to to really properly hear them again, if you see what I mean. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Have you, in your career or otherwise, had a chance to either meet any of the Beatles, see any of them live, or anyone associated closely with the Beatles? Uh, John, regretfully, no. My I'm in the three degrees of separation. My wife has met McCartney. Uh, she served him on a she's ex cabin crew, but she served him on a plane. And uh, in her words, he was very, very approachable and very kind. I interviewed uh, the actor Sanjeev Bhaskar recently. He's a massive Beatles head and has met three of them: George, Paul, and Ringo. So that, I was listening to that with uh, with awe. Uh, so yeah, very jealous yeah. of that. Uh, you know, look, you know, I just want to end my days having met one. Month. There's still a chance, and and you, you haven't. You never been to any gigs of Paul's? Ever seen any of them live? No, it's 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 a bit like Glastonbury tickets. I always just think I I can't be bothered with the the tension of, of being on the phone and realizing well you know they're going to uh, sell out in three minutes. Uh, so I, I've always just, you know with Glastonbury a few years ago, I was happy to watch it on the TV. Yeah, he was uh, he was great on that, um, especially great, considering yeah. his age. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Your song choice is Free as a Bird. It was originally written and recorded by John Lennon in 1977 and recorded as a home demo in New York. Later, the remaining Beatles, the other three, added overdubs and production, recording between February and March 1994 at McCartney's home studio. And then it was released as a single as part of the Beatles anthology project. 
What's interesting, I have to say this now, is that we're, we're recording this on the 20th of November and it actually had its premiere, did you know that, on BBC Radio 1 on the 20th of November. So that's quite spooky. Uh, yeah, I, I, I remember I remember the day well. Yeah, well, it was, it was this day uh, in 1995 yeah, right. and it was released on Anthology 1 the following day and as a single on the 4th of December 1995. It got to number six in the US on the Billboard Hot 100 and reached number two in the UK didn't quite oh, reach number one crime. yeah so that's those are the details but tell me um what what led you to choose this song as your favorite beatles track uh well i think well partly because i think it's a bit underloved and i did certainly nobody else was going to choose this one also it was the first beatles song to be released in my lifetime i missed out a let it be was released five weeks before i was born so there's something significant in that you know, just as I, it's very sweet. I've been listening to, to lots of reactions about now and then. There's a lot of kind of Gen, Gen Z Beatles fans that are really touched by the fact that this is this has been released in their lifetime. And so they, Free as a Bird was like that for me. Uh, mm. And I suppose kind of at the time, I listened to it so much. So it's really absolutely anchored to a time in my life. And I think one of the reasons why I like it is, I mean, not only do I think it's sumptuous and epic and... Uh, and sort of aching but it's also the most democratic you could argue that it's the most democratic Beatles song it's one of it's one of only four tracks that have all four members credited to it and the other ones are sort of you know they're either instrumentals or they're slips of you know just you know slips of songs uh, this is a proper song and everybody gets their moment on it the, because of Jeff Lynne's sort of heavy-handed production uh, you can you can argue that those drums are very high in the mix. McCartney gets a solo singing bit. Lennon obviously gets a solo singing bit. And George gets a solo singing bit. And I can't think of any other Beatles song where they all take the mic, you know, uh, individually. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I think it's, in some ways it's the ultimate Beatles song. It's certainly an out, outlier, um, but in some ways it's, it's a quintessential Beatles number of them as a unit. That's a great point actually. Yeah. And, um, and it, it must have been forced by the fact that obviously they had to take the tape that Yoko had given them um, and they had to bring that up to a level where it was a band performance. Mm. Um, and that created challenges and opportunities. And like you say, it does become democratic. It becomes very Beatley in many ways. Although some people object to the, we ought to touch on the the production. Do you feel, because George Martin refused to do it, didn't he? Not out of any sort of moral duty but he said his hearing was going and he didn't feel he was up to it so Jeff Lynne came in well I've been sort of researching this and that was the that was the bit of propaganda at the time that his hearing wasn't quite up to it but I did find a, a 2013 interview where he admitted that he was never asked uh and that oh. uh, and that he would have gone in a different way to it and kind of used the tape more as a foundation which i think is a, is a little unfair because actually i think that's what they did in the final song but but certainly would have sounded different oh yeah it, you know the 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 rather you know heavy-handed production is it it's not quite timeless it's actually very rooted in the 70s and it's a very elo sound definitely has a very trademark production style and so Yes, I can. I, no, I can understand long long term fans feeling that Jeff Lynne is too present in the production, and certainly his because I you know as I understand it, this was Harrison's sort of hiring, you know because they'd worked together on Cloud Nine and they obviously Wilburys together. So kind of you know you can almost sort of sense McCartney kind of fearing 
the the balance of power shifting you know uh, uh, you know his faint famous ego in the studio kind of and suddenly kind of a more emboldened harrison is coming along with his mate um so i certainly uh, yeah i do understand that criticism of the production but i i you know but as an elo fan and you know i i i love that sort of um technicolor sort of full sound that he brings to it i mean that ELO based their sound a lot on the kind of I am the Walrus era Beatles anyway, didn't they? So yeah, in, in a sense, it's like a second generation of that influence coming back round again, isn't it? Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, it, the thing about Free as a Bird actually and, and, how, and now and then is because they sort of stand on their own, they have to be the ultimate Beatles song. So they have to kind of incorporate various different Beatles sounds. Whereas if Free as a Bird or now and then had been produced possibly for Let It Be or magical mystery tour it's possible they could have been a lot more stripped down you know but this this being the big beatles uh reunion it had to have a lot of uh you know mccartney had to have a lot of laris and had a lot a lot of ringo um so yeah it's absolutely not the song that would have been produced in 1968 or whatever but i don't know i as i said i love it for that i love it for the fact that it's so beatles yeah it's a, it's a tough one isn't it i mean the the original demos they're all very down down key aren't they they're not kind of exuberant uh, sort of upbeat beatles numbers which is what we associate with a lot of early beatlemania and and you know in their heyday they are introspective songs Yeah, and I can absolutely, you know, understand, you know, I mean, maybe if they'd have ended up on the White Album, they would have sounded more like sort of Blackbird, or, you know, it would have been a fairly sort of low-key kind of production. And, um, but, you know, and that would have been a very different kind of Beatles song. But as I said, you know, I, I love this feeling so full. So Yoko Ono says it was Harrison, George Harrison, who approached her about this. It, it was actually later on, Paul picked up the the tape in person from her, but she'd already been asked apparently by Harrison and Neil Aspinall. And I, as you said earlier, there's a bit more of George than you might expect in this song. First in his instigating the whole thing that way. Secondly, in the vocals he provides. And and of course his slide guitar solo, which is arguably the emotional peak of the song. It's a beautiful, beautiful kind of uh, showcase for for him. You know, in uh, Now and Then, which has just been released, Paul McCartney plays the slide guitar in the style of George. But I don't think, you might be correct me, but I don't think he ever played slide guitar in the Beatles. He picked up the slide apparently on a tour with Delaney and Bonnie near the end of 1969. Mm. And it turns up in a lot of his music after that. But on his solo albums, like Isn't It a Pity? And, you know, obviously My Sweet Lord. And then on, but I don't think he ever played slide with the Beatles, so it's it's odd that he he chooses that approach for for the Beatles reunion. Yeah, I remember at the time thinking it was it was a sort of trademark 
George sound, but you could be right. I mean, do you know, I mean, a guitarist would 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 know. Uh, I'm not a guitarist, and I don't sort of approach. Uh, I'm not very good at approaching Beatles music in musical terms. I've looked it up, and I can't find an example. There's slide guitar on on the track for you, Blue. But it's John playing slide. And um, and George Harrison says Elmore James hasn't got anything on this or something like that. <laughs> and Elmore James is a famous slide player. But yeah. that's not George playing slide. That's that's John. As you say, it has become synonymous with George ever since the end of the Beatles. But that's the funny thing about George's playing, I think, because he he never really found himself in the mode of someone like Clapton, did he, as a guitarist who could fluidly play lead guitar. He always had a either things like sitar, you know, yeah. or instruments like the ukulele he loved. He loved playing slide guitar. He did something slightly different with the way he was playing that wasn't quite like the, the kind of tradition of lead guitar. Yeah, and uh, I think Free as a Bird is a is a is a rare sort of grandstanding moment from George. You can almost imagine if they'd have played it live, this would have been the bit where he sort of took two two steps forward, and everybody else stood back in his little solo. Um, I'd like to see him elevated on a platform, actually. At that point, metaphorically <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> speaking, I would. Um, yeah, no, as I said, yeah, this he, I don't think he would have been given that space to be George uh, in the. The, the what what was democracy within the Beatles in I don't know 67 68 69 whatever. Um, mm. yeah it is it is odd actually how um he kind of instigated the whole thing whereas you kind of assume that he was the, the sort of least enthusiastic certainly he was the least enthusiastic initially about the anthology uh series and 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 compilations and he'd done he'd done, you know he spent kind of most of the last 20 years being a bit you know nonchalant about Beatles stuff but yeah, do you know what? I mean, it's interesting that, that uh, there's a lot of other uh, sort of documentation that says it was McCartney who initiated this. But then, you know, Yoko said, do you know what? until Mark Lewisham gets to this point in the Beatles story, we won't know the truth. It's astonishing how, you know, something even just 30 years ago, there's still a lot of kind of contradictory information out there. So I'm just waiting for, you know, hopefully Mark can, you know, finish yeah. this in the next 10 years and we can all breathe a sigh of relief. Well, Yoko has been uh, on record as saying that it's there's a sort of irony in that she she is often so often was accused of breaking up the Beatles, but she's also now responsible for bringing them back together by giving that tape. That's that's a wonderful irony, isn't it? Yeah, that, um, there's something beautiful about that. That's what I love about the Beatles story is how you know, and not it's how a novelist would write it. You know, the protagonist of 1970 becomes. Sorry, the antagonist of 1970 becomes the the, the sort of saviour of 1994. Uh, I also love the fact that you know the final track off Abbey Road, so you you get that abrupt end to Her Majesty, which I've always thought sort of denied the Beatles a full stop. It like it was an announcement. This story hasn't quite ended, and then you know fast forward 25 years and and you get Free as a Bird, you know, which is a sort of lovely. I don't know if you call it a coda because it's not it's kind of three song coda, but uh, it's, yeah, it's a lovely kind of sort of one of three full stops. 
I don't know if you read on the trivia about it. At the end, you hear, depending on which version you hear, if you hear the anthology version, you hear Turned Out Nice Again, played backwards. It's the voice of John Lennon. But it sounds like when they took when they play it backwards, it sounds like he's saying made by John Lennon. Yeah. Which is extraordinary. I love that little flourish at the end, you know, which again, they do a little flourish at the end of um, now and then. And that's just a lovely little Beatles touch, you know. I, I always get the feeling, especially Paul doesn't like to finish things. As, as you mentioned, uh, Her Majesty, you know, you feel like the end has to be that song, the end mm. uh, and in the end. But he just can't let it hang there, can he? He's got to add something else. <laughs> <laughs> but weirdly, if you listen to the, the remix, the slightly remixed version of Free as a Bird, which came out in 2015 with Charles oh. Martin polishing up it, they turn that around again and it becomes uh, played forward, turned out nice again. So, yeah, a little playing with things like that is very, it's a very beatly approach isn't it well, you, you brought up the 2015 version and uh, they of the the most sort of egregious change to that is a change to one of george's lines whereas i think the original is whatever happened to the life we once had whatever happened to the life that we once knew and they change it to whatever happens to the love we once had whatever happened to the love that we once knew. That's more than remixing. That's a proper change. Uh, and I feel quite, quite like, angry about that because I, I love the original lyric. And uh, and I just wonder who signed that off and, you know, uh, and why that change was made. Because that's, that's a bit like, I don't know, when Spielberg went in and took the machine guns out of E.T. and, you know, digitally erased them. And that's, that's, that's messing, you know, with something that's already out there. Um, so I'm, I'm not, not a fan of that. The story of them playing together again, I mean, it could have been awkward. And you've already mentioned that, I mean, I, I don't know. I, my reading is that Harrison brought in Jeff Lynn because he knew that if he didn't, Paul would overwhelm the session. That That's my reading. I don't know if that's, that's fair. That's how, that's how yeah. I, I feel, yeah. Um, so it, like you say, it was a way of him having support there. But they all agreed, Paul, George and Ringo, that the recording process was pleasurable on that song free as a bird not so much on real love and the and, and obviously they they ditched uh now and then but they all seem to have enjoyed it and it, the film I don't, you know obviously it's cleverly edited but the film of that session looks enjoyable too i mean it's a lot of smiling ex-beatles aren't there <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm i'm hoping that if um you know if, if the rumors are true and that Peter Jackson's going in for for uh, for a sort of a re-edit of anthology. But apparently, there are f- like forty hours of the reunion footage, uh, and you, certainly you can see in the footage. And Harrison's filming a lot of stuff with with with, video, with his video camera, so presumably there's lots of footage like in the Harrison estate somewhere. So look, I hope that Jackson gets hold of this at some point, and we get a and we get it all a splurge of, of reunion footage. You know, because there's a it's only a short amount that's out there publicly, but yeah, I'd, I'd absolutely love to see that. Yeah, and you know, it's, because there's a few kind of quite in the the bits where you see them together in the anthology documentary, there are a few testy moments between Harrison and McCartney, which I I just like to kind of rub those moments out of my head and just see them laughing and playing yeah. around, you know, Macca's studio in Sussex. That'd be great, wouldn't it? And if, if like you say, the 
the the rumors that there's some even unearthed um video of uh, very early beetles sort of leather clad beetles mm. turning up from pete best and so on could be very exciting Oh um, yeah, uh, you know I want a like a twenty-six hour version of anthology. Oh yeah, I, yeah, um, we can have that. Sure, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure Jackson has it in him. I mean, uh, yeah, obviously, kind of why they enjoyed working on this this song as opposed to Real Love, which was much more complete. And I, you know, I think they've just sort of said that they felt more like Lennon's backing band was that there was more room to uh, add to this. And and of course, because Lennon didn't finish off some of the lyrics, McCartney is allowed to then come in and do the, uh, you know, where did we lose the touch bit, which is just beautiful. I mean, I remember when his voice drops in then, it's like, okay, this is the first new McCartney vocal on a, uh, you know, on a Beatles song in 25 years. And wow, he sounds like he did on Let It Be. Uh, so that was very special. Whatever happened to the life that we once knew And a nice sentiment, isn't it, that lyric? Absolutely. And to, like uh, Now and Then, they both work in terms of the nostalgia of looking back at the camaraderie and a life that they, you know, once lived. Yeah. Um, and I, John, and, and here, I think we kind of we, we do need to talk about the the Lennon's vocal on it because obviously, the the Now and Then uh, record has had so much praise for how crystal clear Lennon's voice is. And although I would. I'd like to hear a version of Free as a Bird with that AI technology used on Lennon's voice. In some ways, I think that sort of spectral, ghostly sort of hint of a voice sort of works within the song. You know, this is the crystal clarity of the of, of, of George and, and Paul against the sort of ghostly presence of, of, of John sort of works when you know that he's not quite present. So they're not in some ways they, they weren't able to pretend he was present in the room so it does feel kind of like this sort of spirit just sort of wafting in you know to uh to full studio that's a really good point and it i wonder because i i feel it's inevitable they they will remix it at some point don't you it yeah. just feels I, like the beatles sort of marketing machine will come around to tidying that up <laughs> yeah i would like i would like giles martin to come in and uh mm. no, I, I love the jeff lynn version i would mm. like a I would like Giles to sort of karaoke his dad and sort of to do to bring it all down a little bit, you know. I'd just like to hear it as, as an alternative version, not to replace, but you know. Yeah, exactly. We've always got this one, but I, I I agree with you. I think that there's a very haunting quality to the sound, and it's not deliberate. It's 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 limited by the technology. At that time, they didn't have the separation we can now with AI and so on, so-called AI. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, th I think it does work from that point of view. But I, I don't know about you, but I've got this feeling about that we're just about to enter an explosion of AI kind of influence on remixes of old hits. I mean, it's only just starting, isn't it? And the Beatles, you know, who knows where they'll go with, with songs like this and others from the era. Somebody mentioned in a recent podcast about all those snippets of songs you hear in the Get Back documentary. There are songs that they start playing and don't finish. And you can just imagine AI coming in to correct that and finish that song. <laughs> yeah. Slicing and frightening.
there's so many sort of peaks and troughs to the song. It feels epic, and and very to me, it's very very tied and wedded to, to that video as well. I don't think I there's any four minutes of film that I've wa- rewatched as much as that video. It's constantly rewarding, uh, beautiful, and, and weirdly enough, I think the special effects in that look better than the ones in Peter Jackson's uh, uh, video. It, it, it just rewards. It's beautiful to look at because it's just one continuous shot. It's obviously kind of, you know, it's, it's fascinating for, for Beatles nuts to spot all the references. And every time you think you've got them all, you can spot something else. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a classic piece of work. You know, if you could award Oscars to, to videos. And... I think I heard somewhere it was 82 references. Like That sounds a bit far-fetched, <laughs> but... But yeah, you can see lots of song lyrics hidden in there. And that's, again, a very Beatley thing, isn't it? Because of all during the 60s, things like the Paul is Dead rumours and, you know, all the backward, what does that mean backwards and cranberry sauce and all that stuff. Um, It's a very Beatley thing to do to plant clues and, um, you know, hat tips to songs, isn't it? And it does that beautifully. Well, I think one of the reasons why I fell in love with the Beatles and why why they continue to, to, to... Why I continue to find them fascinating is the fact that you know one of my other big big loves in my world is sort of Doctor Who, and one of one of the reasons why I love that is you've got sixty years worth of mythology. It's a very vast and detailed and intricate world. And how I've always thought about the Beatles is they're one of the only bands that create their own world. I find it very easy to think of Mr. Mustard and Lovely Rita and Eleanor Rigby all living there, and even the contrasting sounds of whether you're talking about. Uh, um, you know, A Day in the Life or Obladi Oblada. They, very different songs, but they sort of harmonise within this Beatle world. And so that's what the, the that video sort of riffs on, I think, for me, is, is the fact that this is Beatle land. And yeah, yeah. all live together. And all these little incidents have all happened within, you know, a few miles of each other. It's easy to believe, isn't it? It's like the Help movie where they all live in the same sort of house behind four exactly. doors. Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can't. Can you think of another band, maybe ABBA, um, where only those members constitute the band? You know, you think of the Rolling Stones yeah. going on without Charlie Watts. Yeah, you yeah. know, they went on and it, it was still the Rolling Stones. You know, the Beach Boys would carry yeah. on touring without Brian Wilson. But okay. I can't think of any other bands apart from the Beatles and ABBA <laughs> where the those four people have to be in it for it to be a, a song by that band. No, and obviously that was part of the reason for these songs to exist in, exist in the first place. I think mean, you know, the original mm-hmm. intention was the fact that they would get together for anthology or the long and winding road, as it was called then, and just do incidental music, which would have been interesting. You know, a lot of versions of, you know, like, you know, it's, but it's a bit like nobody's favourite Beatles song is Flying, you know. Right. <laughs> the most so, democratic it, one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, well, but, yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, it would have been interesting, but it wouldn't have been the Beatles and just as if it, yeah. I mean, they were they were nicknamed the Threetles at the time, weren't they? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Being, I don't think they could have ever gone on the road with that name. But um, no, it's it, you know, I think by by that point in time, anyway, the power dynamic had shifted because you'd as you know you had an emboldened Harrison uh, who certainly wouldn't yeah. have taken the same kind of shit from from Macca, um, right? So, um, mm. And I always kind of assumed that kind of Macca and George Martin were a bit of a team, possibly because, uh, you know, McCartney hung around in the studio more. more. You know, he was much more hands-on. The good quote from McCartney, just coming back to Free as a Bird, where he was talking with um, 
Sean Anyoga, he, he said, it's really difficult to do this spiritually. We don't know. We may hate each other after two hours in the studio and just walk out. So don't put any conditions. It's tough enough. Mm. I mean, that reveals quite a lot about how they must have felt going into it. I, think, I remember McCartney at the time sort of saying how they coped with the sort of emotional uh, pressure of it was by imagining that John had popped out and sort of said, right, you know, you, know, you guys, you know, finish this. Um, and I think that was a fairly good sort of coping strategy for it. Like, you know, just, you know, John's up somewhere else. He's just gone off with Yoko, you know. And, and God, you know, God knows they, they did enough of that actually during their time in the Beatles. Plenty of songs where it's just one Beatle, two Beatles, or, you know, and somebody else is in another country. Are there any other songs you'd like to raise as your favourites, amongst your favourites? There are songs I probably love more or are objectively better, like A Day in the Life or uh, Here, There and Everywhere in My Life. The Night Before, always love that one. Strawberry Fields, Penny Lane, which I can't think of as separate songs. They're absolutely sort of wedded together. They're sort of yin, yin and yang. Um, but it's always kind of slightly sort of broken my heart quite how disliked Free as a Bird is in some quarters. I, know, I remember, you know, I bought, you know, Re when Revolution in the Head was reissued to add those two extra songs. And uh, Ian MacDonald is scathing about them. Dreary, banal, I think he calls it. You know, it's yeah, it's, he really didn't like it. So, yeah, a hardcore Beatles heads, you know, don't really rate it that, that much. But they maybe they weren't, you know, at the right age in 1995. To, to, to love it well listen it's been great talking to you how can people learn more about what you do steve uh, i have a showcase website which is stevebrownwriter.com uh where, uh where you can certainly find some beatles kind of articles in there plus lots of stuff about doctor who james robertson justice murder she wrote it's, it's quite a vast collection of material fantastic and your usual social channels of course yeah it's um mrs steve mrs steve i don't know why i did that mrs steve <laughs> o'brien on, on twitter steve o'brien 1970 on on instagram on instagram well listen thanks so much for joining me to talk about the beatles and specifically free as a bird today it was great great enjoy yourself thank you thanks for listening to my favorite beatles song if you like the podcast please consider giving it a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform this helps me to reach new listeners you can follow the podcast on x.com, Instagram and Facebook. Look for the links in the show notes. Thanks to Joe Kane for the fantastic music and Mark Cunningham for the logo design. I'll see you next time.